Isaiah chapter 9. We read this last week. We're going to go a little bit further in it. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Scripture reads like this. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through verse 39 reads like this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities or powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. It gives understanding, revelation to us. So Holy Spirit, breathe upon it right now. Take the words of the scripture and make them alive in our hearts today. May we leave here changed, different, challenged, and encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said a big amen. Hallelujah. Well, as you're seated, turn around to two or three people and smile at them and tell them good morning. Hallelujah. We are so glad that each and every one of you are here today. Well, I hope personally that you're fully in the Christmas spirit. And uh, if there are any Scrooges in the place this morning, uh, there will be an altar call for you immediately after service. We will anoint you with oil and cast that spirit out of you. Hallelujah. Because Christmas time is a great time to be excited. And so we're excited that you're here. We've, we've tried to do a little bit of a little bit of extra special uh, around here to make things a little bit more on the holiday side. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, uh, I've asked Darren just to do Christmas carols all throughout the, uh, the week on uh, our Wednesday midweeks instead of just regular praise and worship just to kind of set the atmosphere. We've been teaching about God with us and his humanity and his virgin birth last week and different things. And so we're trying our best to keep Christ in Christmas, to keep him at the focus and the center of it all. It's easy, you know, in the hustle and bustle of things to get sidetracked and all of that type of stuff. But I would encourage each and every one of you to do your best to keep Christ at the center of everything that you do in this season. Um, last week, we started this series, His Name is Wonderful. And I focused on that aspect of wonderful, or if you want to break down the word wonderful, it's full of wonder. And so last week, we just simply asked the question, what's in a name? And we uh, looked at the scriptures and we looked at various things. And what we walked away with on Sunday was this, that there is salvation in no other name than the name of Jesus. 
Then we uh, went through a little bit further and we looked at the fact that there is healing in the name of Jesus. And then if you're bound and you're beaten and you need to be set free, we also looked at the fact that there is deliverance in the name of Jesus. See, what I love about Jesus is the Bible calls him the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And so what that means, he's the A and the Z and he's everything in between. Whatever you have need of, he's God. Hallelujah. And so we're excited uh, about just celebrating Christmas and breaking down and focusing on the names of Christ. But this morning, I wanted to go a little bit further in our Isaiah 9 passage and look at the fact that his name shall be called Wonderful. And then the next name that Isaiah gives us through the lens of prophecy is Counselor. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about Christ, our Counselor. You know, when you turn on the television or you look at Netflix or YouTube or whatever you watch TV on, you find very quickly that counseling is a very big thing. In fact, in the realm of talk shows, uh, I grew up in the 90s. And so in the 90s, we had Sally Jesse Raphael. Anybody remember her? And, and Oprah. And then we've got Dr. Phil, and, which Dr. Phil's wife is from Duncan, Oklahoma, where we used to be youth pastors years ago. Um, you've got all types of, of, of things where people are capitalizing on the fact that people want to be listened to. People have problems. And so in the world, there is a great need for counselors. Can I get an amen? I don't know if you've ever taken advantage of a counselor, whether or not it be a licensed counselor or just a godly Christian friend or something like that. And while definitely when you think about counseling, you know, that old song we used to sing is have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your troubles. And I, I do believe Jesus wants us to talk to him. I do believe that we can unload our burdens on him. He is a burden bearer. The scripture says, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ wants us to give him our burdens. The problem is, is when we take our burdens back from him once we give them to him. Amen? So when we bring things to the altar a lot of times and say, God, here's my life, here's my marriage, here's my kids, here's my job, whatever, a lot of times we give them to the Lord, and then we take the burden back and walk with it. But that's not the case, my friend. Christ said, give it to me. Because another name of Christ in Christmas is the Prince of Peace. But besides that, as we look at it a little bit further, we need to understand that while it is true that Jesus wants to be our burden bearer, while He wants us to, to, to talk so that He might listen, when Isaiah is looking through the lens of Bible prophecy and he's talking about the names of Christ and what his names will encapsulate, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, as he's doing all of those and he drops counselor right there in the middle, I want to submit to you today that it's a little bit different than what many would think on the surface. Uh, as we look at the name counselor, it's actually totally different than anything Isaiah would have thought about in the moment. And that's brought out when you actually look into the definition of that word in, it, in its original language. And one of those uh, definitions for counselor in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, is advocate. So what that shows me is that Christ, as counselor, has some legal connotation to it. 
And when you're looking in the Bible, that's not altogether uncommon because there, Paul, when he's describing the Christian life and he talks about fighting not and wrestling not, Paul is using analogies from the natural realm that help us to understand the context of what he's saying. Um, Jesus does the same thing, does he not? When he talks about um, uh, seed and sowers, he's referring to the agricultural uh, society of his day. And there are other areas in Scripture where this legal connotation kind of um, brings itself out. And one of those we talked about last week, about there being power in the name of Jesus. And the Bible said in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus gave His disciples authority. He said, in my name, go and cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead. Notice He said, in His name, which is a legal term. And that is what we would call a power of attorney. Anybody ever had an aging parent or maybe a, a, a handicapped child or somebody of that nature? Or maybe there was a transaction that needed to be done in a person's absence. And so to legally be able to sign the documents and exercise authority on behalf of another person, you have to do a power of attorney, right? So basically, when that person signs that power of attorney, basically, they are giving you permission to act on their behalf with the full weight of their authority behind your signature. And that's what the Bible was talking about when Jesus gave us the authority to use his name. And so this legal concept is not altogether contrary to scripture. I'm going to show you that in a moment because my friends, there is a fight for our well-being. I don't know if you know this today, but we have an enemy. The Bible calls him the adversary. Uh, some different people, you know, scripture refers to him as different what different things. Um, the Bible calls him Lucifer, other places call him Satan, other places refer to him as Beelzebub. But the truth of the matter is, is that we have an enemy, and his name is the devil. And here's what this old devil does. Job chapter 2 tells us that Satan appeared before the throne of God and accused Job uh, before the presence of God. He accused him. He said, look at your servant Job and look at what he does and, and he'll, he'll curse you the moment that something bad happens in his life. And so God said, well, you can't take his life, but I'll lift my hand. And, and you know the story. If you don't, here's what happened. Job had one tragedy after another, and he never cursed God. And the Scripture said he never sinned against God with his lips. When his wife turned on him, when his children were taken away, when his friends said he didn't have enough faith, or Job, you must have something hidden in your life, all of these things, right? They said, no way, Jose. Job sat there. They had some pity party moments. He did go through some difficult things, but Job Job held fast, and when he prayed for his friends, the Bible says God gave him double for his trouble. In Zechariah chapter 3, Joshua is accused by Satan before the presence of the Lord. And in Luke chapter 22, Jesus told Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I pray that your faith doesn't fail there's a theme that goes all throughout the Scripture of Satan being the accuser. In fact, Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 tells us this, that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He is accusing the children of God day and night. 
Right now, in heaven, Satan, your enemy, uh, he doesn't live in heaven. He's cursed to the earth. But somehow, in some unexplainable way, he still is able to plead his case. Revelation 12 is in the middle of the tribulation period. That is when Lucifer is cast down and no longer able to accuse. But up until this point, he is doing his best to condemn us and to bring separation between us and God. You say, Pastor, why does that even matter today? I can tell you why it matters. Because the Scripture said in Isaiah chapter 9 that his name shall be called Counselor. Now I'm building a case this morning. Because what is he accusing us of? Our mishaps, our shortcomings, our character, our sin. He even accuses and condemns our conscience. But why does this even matter? I can tell you why. I have many fond memories of my grandparents' house on Sunday evenings and Saturday nights before we would get ready to church and even Sundays after church. And we would go over there often. And you've heard me talk about my great-grandmother and she liked to watch TV and stuff. And she really didn't even watch TV till later in life. There were several shows that you knew she was not going to miss. Are you ready? Uh, don't, don't judge. Grandma was holiness all her life until like the last year, okay? And she liked Mama's Family. Anybody remember Mama's Family? All right. Uh, she liked Hee Haw, okay? She liked Hee Haw. But there were a couple shows that we watched growing up that developed a love that I even have today. I love to watch law and, and court type shows, prosecuting type shows. And I believe that that love uh, grew as a young boy, impressionable, you know, 10, 11 years old, sitting in front of the TV with grandma watching Matlock. Does anybody remember Matlock? Some of y'all probably hadn't heard that in a long time. Let me throw another one at you. What about Night Court? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, some of these shows, uh, court shows and whatnot have gotten so bad today to, to language and whatnot, you can't hardly watch them. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that I love watching those because I love justice and I love uh, seeing the, the underdog actually plead his case and win. And I like seeing the bad guy being prosecuted. And so, you know, I remember Matt Locke, and, you know, he, I always got tickled because we would watch the, uh, the Andy Griffith show, right? And then, uh, the, you know, a couple channels later, we're watching the same guy, and he's an old man, you know, now, you know, black, it's, it's funny, gray hair. And so they would, you know, investigate, and they would go through, and they'd collect all of this evidence, and they would get to the place of the courtroom. And at the courtroom, you know, you have the judge, and you have the jury, and you have the prosecuting attorney, and you have the defense, and you have all of these different things. And if you've ever been to court before, you understand it's a very stressful process. It's a very expensive process, very expensive and all of those things. But uh, after uh, the case has been presented, uh, oftentimes the judge will say this. He'll say, counselor, would you approach the bench? And that counselor is another word for lawyer. It's an advocate. It's a legal term. It's when somebody stands between you and the judge as your representative to plead your case 
before the judge. See, it's the judge has the authority to throw the gavel down. It's the judge who has the authority to give you probation, to let you walk free, or to give you 20 years in the slammer. It's the judge who, based on the evidence, has the ability to change your life forever. And I don't know about you, but I'm not smart enough. I've never been to law school. I've watched these shows before where some uh, person, you know, they say, well, I want to represent myself. And they always try to talk them out of it. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. And then they go before the judge and they usually make an idiot out of themselves. Why? Because that's not their training. That's not their practice. That's not their background. And so that person would oftentimes, on behalf of the one who's being tried, steps in front of him in between the judge and says, Judge, I plead my case. He'll go through and he'll present the evidence. And he'll say, you know, here's the alibi. Here's where they were. Here's this and here's that. All of these different details of the case. And then the judge will say, are you finished, counselor? And he'll say, yes, I rest my case. And he'll go back to the, to the bench and wait for the proceedings. And friends, that is a great plot line of suspense on a television program. But what I just shared with you is a reality of our relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says He is our counselor. He is our advocate. He is our one that goes between us and the Father because we have somebody who is accusing us before the throne of God. He is constantly accusing us of sin and mishaps and things that we've done in our life. Things that we've already made restitution for. And guess what the Bible says? That Jesus, our counselor, stands between us and God. And he goes between us, the judge of heaven. And he pleads our case. Friends, it ought to comfort you this morning. That if Jesus is your lawyer... He's never taken a case that he can't win. I want, you to, I want you to think about that today. The next time you get to feeling sorry for yourself, the next time you feel like that, that, that God has forsaken you, listen, the Scripture is clear that when we mess up, we come to him, he puts it under the blood. And when our adversary, the devil, comes and he tries to condemn us, what does he do? He pleads our case before the Father. He pleads our case before the Father. See, you got to understand today, there is a fight for us. We are in the middle. And if Satan can condemn our conscience, if he can kick us down on the ground and get us feeling unworthy and, and unable to do anything for God, then the next thing you know, we'll find ourselves in a defeated state. But the truth is, Christ is our advocate. See, when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the baby born in the manger at Bethlehem, and that's great, but oftentimes we don't stop to think about what he came to do. He came to bring peace between God and man. He came to stand between the sinner and the sinner's punishment. He came to stand between us and our accuser so that we can be justified in the eyes of God. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this very first thing down. Number one, God is for you. God is for you. God is for you. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 31 with me. I want to read it one more time, these first couple of verses. The Bible says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who 
can be against us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how how shall he not also with him also freely give us all things? Folks, this morning I am trying to tell you as plain as I can today that God is for you. Listen, God is for you. He has proven His love for you when He died on the cross. When Jesus came and He suffered through all of the pain and all of the anguish. The book of Hebrews says in a very confusing way to the flesh, it almost is morbid to us as a human to understand that Hebrews said that with the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. He, dis- he, he walked through the shame and the rejection and everything that they did. He did it with joy. Why? Because God is for us. He's for us so much that He was willing to take our pain. He was willing to take our punishment. He was willing to take our place. Jesus literally steps in in front of the accuser. He tells the judge, I need to plead my, their case on, on their behalf. And the judge literally says, well, what evidence can you bring to the table to bring any validity to your argument? And all Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, says, it's the blood. It's the blood. See, in the court of heaven, there's a, there's a term in the, in the court of earth and the court of heaven. It's called expungement. Having your record expunged. It, it, it doesn't mean you didn't do it. It just simply means there's no longer a record of wrongdoing. <laughs> oh, come on, somebody. I, I, I don't know why you're not getting as excited as, as I am today. Maybe it's because you've not done what I've done. Maybe it's, not because, maybe it's because you haven't been where I've been or said what I said. But I'm glad that in the books of heaven, because one day I confessed my sin to God and turned from it and stopped living in it. And I said, Jesus, forgive me. What did he do? He took the records of wrong that were written against me and he nailed them to the cross of Christ that's what the scripture says man Jesus can say hold up not guilty you know why because in the court of law there's such a thing called double jeopardy double jeopardy simply means you can't be charged twice for the same crime It's unconstitutional, it's unjust. If it's already been paid for, you can't pay for it again. And friend, I believe that the Scripture tells us that when Jesus hung upon the cross, He bore the weight of our sin and our guilt and our punishment and all of those things He bore upon His body on the tree. The Bible says, the book of Galatians, Cursed is He that hangs on a tree. The curse Everything of sinful humanity, the weight of it, the penalty of it, although he never did it, he bore it and he felt it. And at that moment, he became our substitute. The wrath of God that was deserved for us. There was separation for a moment. Jesus said, my God, why have you forsaken me? As for a moment, the Father didn't look upon the Son as the sin of the world was on His shoulders. But Jesus, on that cross, uh, He 
dropped his head down. He said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit as his blood flowed down his side onto the ground, causing the earthquake and the temple and the veil to rent from top to bottom. Uh, Great significant things happened on that day. But one thing Jesus said that is so significant is it is finished. And I want you to know something that while the earth... And those around Jesus heard, it is finished. I believe heaven heard, I rest my case. It is finished. As the blood of Christ was placed upon that heavenly mercy seat, bringing mercy and redemption for all those who would call upon the name of the Lord. Friend, I'm telling you today, God is for you. He's for you. Now make no mistake about it, he's not happy with with our sin or disobedience and there are consequences and even even we can run away. There's things that can happen, but I want you to know something. God is for you. Here's how much God is for you today. Are you ready? Here's a couple of little things I want to give you. He gave us his word. God is so for you that he gave us his word. Now it's hard to fathom a day and an hour where people don't have a Bible. I see many of them overseas who don't have a Bible. Many of us in this room have many Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, most people have a cell phone and you can get an app and you can get just about any translation of the Bible you want. God is so for us that He's given us His Word. And His Word is instruction for victory. His Word is instruction for life. His Word tells us about spiritual things. His Word tells us about natural things. God's Word is so for us, it tells us how to love your enemy and how to pay your bills on time. God's Word covers the X, the Y, and the Z, and everything in between. So listen, my friend, if you really want to know how God is for you, you got to get in His Word. And then not only did He give us His Word, He he gave us His Spirit. When Jesus left and He was going to heaven, He told His disciples, He said, It's expedient that I must go away, but if I go away, I will come to you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will send you the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who will come and walk beside you. And He won't just be with you. He shall be in you. John tells us that this Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, leads us and guides us into all things. He gives us His Spirit. And not only that, He's so for us. He gives us the power of His name. That when the adversary or the enemy or things or circumstances rise up in your life and you ever feel like darkness is surrounding you, all you have to do is speak the name of Jesus. Whom the Bible says mountains bow down and demons flee and crooked places are made straight at the name of Jesus. And if that isn't enough, the icing on the cake is the blood of Jesus. You see, the sacrifice was great, but it wasn't atoned for and it wasn't complete until the blood was offered on the mercy seat. Jesus' blood shows us today that God is for us. Look at somebody and tell them, God is for you. He's for you today. But I got something great for you. If God is for you, then number two, Satan can't condemn you. Satan can't condemn you. Look at verse 33 of Romans chapter 8 today. Look at this. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he 
who condemns. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is at the right hand of God makes intercession for us. I want to focus on this aspect just for a moment right here. Satan cannot condemn you. I want you to know he'll try. He will try. Folks, let me tell you something. The greatest, vic- the greatest battles that you and I will ever face in our life are not with boxing gloves. They are not out in a war with a gun in our hand. The greatest vic- the ba- I keep wanting to say victories because the victories in, and the, are won this way. The greatest battles that we ever face and the greatest victories that we ever will win are not on the battlefield. They are in our mind. Right? They're in our mind. And oftentimes Satan attacks our mind, does he not? He tells us we're not worth it. He tells us we're unloved. He tells us that nobody cares about us. Uh, if, we, if we try to sing, he tells us we can't sing good enough. If we try to preach, he tells us we can't preach good enough. If we're a husband, he tells us we're not good enough or whatever. And, and, and rather the voice of condemnation always kicks you down without a solution. Right? I think it's vitally important that we make some parameters here today and understand conviction is good. Condemnation is not good. Conviction is a good thing. As a Christian, if you go to saying something and doing something that you shouldn't do or being somewhere that you shouldn't be and you feel bad about it, don't rebuke the devil. That's God. Conviction is a good thing when you speak harshly to somebody and you say, oh man, I shouldn't have said that. I I used the wrong tone. Or you speak to your spouse the wrong way. Or your husband the wrong way. Or your children the wrong way. That's conviction. Conviction is good. We need it. If we don't have it, it ought to make us nervous. But condemnation is bad. Why? Because one, conviction is constructive. Condemnation is destructive. Conviction comes from the voice of the conscience and the voice of the Holy Spirit. Condemnation comes from the carnal mind and the adversary. Let me tell you the difference. You mess up, God says, you can do better than that. You're a child of God. I didn't create you with that. I didn't create you to live like that. I I have purpose for you. I have destiny for you. And and you repent and get that under the blood of Christ and start moving in the right direction. That is conviction and that we all ought to welcome that into our lives. Condemnation, on the other hand, you mess up and the, the devil jumps on your back and he says, see there, I told you you were that way. There's no need to even trying. You ought to just go back to the way you were. God, it's not going to forgive you. You already asked like eight times. I mean, you know, over and over and over again, that voice that just tries to beat us down. But let me tell you something. He certainly can try, but I want to give you some wisdom. He can't win if you don't let him win. And the battle is won in the mind. As that old saying used to say, we need a check up from the neck up. It's our stinking thinking oftentimes that gets us in a bad place. We get in our mind, we get in our thoughts, we get in our feelings and allow the enemy to come in and run roughshod all over us. He will try, but he just can't. Why? Because Christ justifies us. Christ justifies us. You see, anytime the devil reminds you of your past, it's because he's nervous about his future. You need to hear what I just said. 
Anytime the devil reminds you of your past, he's nervous about his future. Why? Because the Bible, people, I've seen people get mad at the devil and say, devil, go back to hell where you came from. He's never been there. Read your Bible, folks. He's walking to and fro on the earth, seeking whom he may devour. He's not going there to the end of the, the thousand-year reign of Christ when the wicked are judged and the, and the Antichrist is cast and chained into the lake of fire. He knows the end of his days, my friend. And guess what he wants to do? He wants to take everybody with him because he's miserable like that and so what does he do he condemns us and brings us down he tries to get us to quit on God and he tries but Christ has justified us so guess what you don't let him win when the enemy tries to come against your mind and tries to tell you you're nothing you're nobody you're no good you might as well quit you might as well kill yourself nobody likes you you need to turn the tide and turn the table on your adversary and say if God be for me who can be against me it is Christ who justified. Come on, somebody. It is God who justified and rose again. What Jesus says about you is what matters. Satan can't condemn you. Here's the third thing. Jesus is pleading for you. He's pleading for you. Verse 34 tells us in Romans chapter 8, it says, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen. He is seated at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Intercession, interceding, intercepting is how you can say that. You know, there's different modes of prayer. Prayer of repentance, prayer of thanksgiving, there's praying in the Spirit. There's all types of different prayer. But the prayer of intercession is where you go to God on behalf of somebody else. And here's what Jesus did. He died on the cross, took his blood, put on the mercy seat of heaven, satisfied the wrath of God for all who would call upon the name of the Lord. And now Jesus is right there at the right hand of God, according to the book of Hebrews, as our high priest. What did the high priest do? They went in between man and God and offered the sacrifice. And that's what Jesus did. He said, listen, I don't have to get back on the cross every day. I don't have to get back on the cross every time you take communion. Come on somebody what I did once and for all was enough if people would just place their faith in what I have done Jesus is pleading for us you know there's great comfort in knowing that your grandmother's praying for you there's great comfort in knowing that your mom or your dad is praying for you or that your spouse is praying for you but there's no comfort like knowing Jesus is praying for you He's pleading for you. He's intercepting. He's bearing. He's coming beside. He's pleading your case. Here's the fourth and the last thing. Found in verse 35. Look at this with me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or sword... As it is written, for your sake we're all killed all day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor present things, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now people, people get messed up with this. 
because they think that their sin doesn't matter to God and somehow this scripture isn't out for that. That's not what this scripture is saying. First of all, this scripture is written to those who are following Christ. See, the very same author and the very same Holy Spirit said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This scripture is written to believers, those who are living right, those who are walking on the narrow path, those who are trying their best to to follow God. The Bible says if our conscience condemns us not, we have confidence towards God. So listen, we're walking right, we're living right, we're doing our best. But what does the scripture say if we fall and we stumble? The Bible tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Now listen. I have children. Many of you in here have children. Grandchildren. Just because I love my child, now hear me, just because I love my child does not mean I approve or agree with their actions. There's a lot of mamas go to the prisons every weekend to visit their children who are on death row or whatever, who love their children, but that doesn't mean that they agree And we don't need to get it twisted this morning that just because God loves us and nothing can ever make God stop loving us think that somehow He doesn't care what we do because that's not what the Scripture is saying. What the Scripture is saying is even if you're a knucklehead, even if you run away, even if you do something stupid, He still loves you. He still loves you. He still wants you to run to Him. See, the great thing about God is no matter how many times we mess up, no matter how many times we turn away, He's always willing To bring us back to Him. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Not lies, not accusations, not people, not death. God loves us. You know, as they get ready to come this morning, play some music softly today, there's something that's of extreme comfort as we look into the realm of Scripture. You say, Pastor, this really doesn't sound like a Christmas message. Yeah, it is. Because Isaiah told us his name will be Counselor. His name will be Counselor. And I hope today that when you look at Christmas and you think about the baby in the manger, you think, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who literally came to pay the price To sustain the wrath of God that was due to us. Here's a scripture I want you to see today. 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. And I'm closing with this one. 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. Here's what it reads. It says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous. Man, I want to read that one more time. My little children. He's speaking to believers here. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And 1 John, me and and the boys have been reading 1 John the last couple days. And 
And he's writing about living holy lives. He's, he's saying things like this. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, he says if a man uh, says that he follows God and he keeps living in sin, he's a, a, a deceiver and not following the truth. The truth is not in him. He's speaking of that righteous life. So God wants us to live a holy life. He wants us to live an upright life. But he's so gracious that by grace and other things that when we do miss it, and we will miss it. I love what he says. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. So you know what that means? As you and I are in relationship with God and we're serving him, even when we mess up, we go to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. He's our advocate. He's standing between the Father and us. And he's pleading the blood. He's pleading his case. Satan comes and he, he tries to say, well, yeah, but you can't forgive them. You know what they did. You know how long they did it and blah, blah, blah. And I, Jesus just says, shut up, devil. The blood justifies.